Welcome back to A View from the Couch. My name is Rich. And I'm Jen. And we are continuing with our Be Kind Rewind series. Yes. We are going to go back to the Spielbergian well. We've gone through Duel, we've gone through Jaws, and now we're going to do his third big movie. Now, you could argue that this is this is his fourth movie, technically. But this is his third big movie. Okay. Because Duel was kind of like the breakout. Jaws was the big blockbuster. And then there was this. And Sugarland Express happened before Jaws, but it's kind of the forgotten, like, Spielberg film when it comes to, like, his populist stuff. Sure. So. I don't even know if I've ever even heard of that movie. Oh, we have it if you want to watch it. It's good. It's got Goldie Hawn in it. Uh, well. It's decent. All right. I think you might. Well, you might not. I don't know. You don't like older movies, so. <laughs> They're hit and miss for me. They are hit sure. and miss for you. I think it's the pacing thing. I think for you, it. I think you've become accustomed to a more modernized pacing, I think, is really what it comes down to. Like, you do not like a slow movie. You want your movies to be faster paced, which is kind of a hallmark of eh, post-1980s, you know, film. So. Yeah, the slower movies, I definitely start losing interest. My mind starts wandering. I start checking the time, like, oh my god, how much is left of this thing? Oh you my know? god, yeah. really? Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. So you, I think ha- you're on to something. Anyways. I, I think, I, yeah, I think I'm on to something as well. How, have you seen this movie before? I have not. This is your first viewing. This is my first time I'm seeing this jealous. movie. I'm a little jealous. We we saw we watched the theatrical version for anybody that's listening. So we didn't watch any of the the special edition, which adds stuff to it, or the director's cut, which cuts stuff from the special edition but leaves some other things from the special. Yeah, edition. Yeah, I was. Well, I came across that when I was doing research. Like, mm-hmm. there's several different mm-hmm. versions of this. Yeah. Yeah, the special edition includes a the biggest thing that it includes is a scene at the end where we get to see Roy inside the spaceship. Which Steven Spielberg says he wish he would have never done that. That's but, why he made the director's cut. But the studio execs really wanted to see inside the ship. Oh yeah, yeah. and so he did it, but then regretted, he came to pressure. Yeah. yeah, regretted doing it. So. Yeah, that and that's that's how we ended up with the director's cut. We ended yeah. up with that because he he wanted to excise that and he wanted to tighten a few things up. So. Yeah. So I have seen this movie before. It is not, it's not my highest level Spielberg film, but this is one of those movies that I remember watching as a kid and being just entranced by. Looking at it in certain parts of it, I think, with like a sense of wonder. Okay. You know? Sure. Specifically the Devil's Tower stuff, like Roy building Devil's Tower and like making it out of mashed potatoes and stuff like that. We mocked that all the time when I was a kid. Like we had mashed potatoes. I was making Devil's Tower and saying <laughs> of course this, you means, were. this means something. This is important cuz you know. And I could see your mom rolling her eyes yes. too. <laughs> and then it was in Weir- it was in Weird Al's movie UHF. He did the exact same thing, but he did I don't think he did it with mashed potatoes. Maybe he did it with something else. Mm. I don't remember, but he, he Weird Al did it and I was like I feel vindicated. Weird Al does it too. So yeah. All right. So why don't we, why don't you give them the cast and crew, then we will jump into the film. All right. So this was directed by Steven Spielberg. That's why it's part of our Be Kind Rewind series. Yeah. This was also written by Steven Spielberg. However, it was originally written by a guy, Paul Schrader. He wrote the original script, but Steven Spielberg changed so much of it that Schrader decided to remove his name as credit on the film. Yeah, Paul Schrader is is one of those guys. He he's written he's quite prolific, but the one thing that you pe- most people will remember him from is the big thing that they'll remember him from is probably Taxi Driver. But he works with Martin Scorsese a lot, or worked with Martin Scorsese a lot. He did Bringing Out the Dead. He did The Last Temptation of Christ. Raging Bull. He wrote. He has done a lot. Of films, he's also directed a lot of films as well. But yeah, he's uh, he's a he's a prolific screenwriter. All right. So it'd be interesting to find out like what it is that he had in mind for Close Encounters. Oh, so you've never seen like no or idea. read anything about nope. it? Yeah, I could. I didn't come across anything like what the changes were. It's just he definitely didn't feel like it was his story anymore. So well, took his I mean, name off there. Yeah. the Spielberg shadow looms wide and large. Yeah. And when it comes down to it, 
you know, he's if he wants to bury whatever it used to be, then he's going to bury whatever it used to be. Yeah. I'm not saying he's part of the Illuminati or something, although he might be. <laughs> but he has a definite aesthetic that he wants to pre- present, and he doesn't want anything to interfere with that. Which is also why he doesn't do director's commentaries. Okay. So, anyway, sorry, go on. <laughs> All right, Richard Dreyfus plays Roy Neary. Returning from Jaws. This is yeah. the second part of his Spielberg now, trilogy. Now. Yeah. Spielberg did not want him. I know. He had to lobby for this role. He really had to lobby mm-hmm. hard for this role yep. before Spielberg actually gave it to him. So. so like Nick Cage shouting at a director in a parking lot lobbying for or something? Um, almost. Really? Uh, I think he did. I think it sounded like he was talking to him almost every day and, you know, just <laughs> talking down the other people they were talking about. Wow. You know, other, oh, really? Yeah, he was. He, oh. I watched a document. He docu- was shit-talking people? He was. I watched this fascinating documentary. It was. It's about an hour and a half, yeah. and it's it interviews all the cast and behind-the-scenes people. If you, if you like this movie, I highly recommend it. But there's some interviews like Richard Dreyfuss talking about how he got the part and what he was doing to, you know, convince Spielberg <laughs> that he was the right one for this role. So that was really interesting. So. You dirty rat. That's, that's, that's <laughs> dirty, man. That's dirty. All right. We've got Francois Truffaut as Claude Lacombe. Yeah. Now. Fra- Francois Truffaut. He is not an actor. No. He is actually a director. A and, world famous director. And he did this for Spielberg. And what he told Spielberg, I am not an actor. So Yep, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Francois Truffaut is, he's French, but he is known for movies like The 400 Blows or Love on the Run and stuff like that. Like, these are... Like art house type films, you know what? Which what we would consider art house type films. I suppose I should say he was known for that. I, he's he died. He died in the eighties. Sure. At sure. a very at a relatively young age, probably my age actually. I think he was about fifty, fifty five, something mm. like that when okay. he died. Okay. But yeah, the four hundred blows is like the movie. Like oh. if you want to see a Truffaut movie, that's the one you watch. I've never heard movie. of the guy before this, so I, I oh don't know. yeah. I, at the time, I didn't I didn't know who the hell he was. I just knew he was yeah. the French guy. And now you know, after having gone to some film classes and stuff. Right. Now right. you know. Now I know who he is. So. Sure. Yeah. We've got Terry Gar as Ronnie Neary. Terry Gar. I love Terry Gar. She's been in a lot of good stuff. She was in a movie that I've brought up to you quite a few times, and and I still think we need to watch Young Frankenstein. Yeah, it's on yeah. the list to watch sometime. All right, we have Melinda Dillon as Jillian. Geiler? Is Geiler, it? yeah. It's Geiler. And then Carrie Guffey as Barry Geiler. Yeah. Now, I I guess I'm not as familiar with Melinda Dillon, although I guess she's been in some stuff that I've seen, like Harry and the Hendersons, Magnolia, stuff like that, but I don't really, I don't recognize her. I, I don't remember what she had been in and why she got picked for this role, but she did not get hired until the weekend before filming, like just a day or two before it was supposed to start filming. Yeah. That's when she got hired. And she actually earned an Oscar nomination for this performance too. So like this last minute coming in, she hadn't read the script when she took it. She read the end of the script. Oh. And thought it sounded interesting. So then she took the job. That's the sale. That's the sales pitch, huh? (laughs) Okay. Well, did you mention Bob Balaban? You didn't mention Bob Balaban. He's the uh, he's the interpreter. He's Lacombe's interpreter. And so now you, I, yeah. the Friends fanatics, should know that both Phoebe's mom and dad are in this movie. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. Bob Balaban plays her dad and Terry Garr plays her mom. Yep. So I am not a huge Friends fan. I just know this because I've seen Friends here and there. Actually, I think I watched the whole series for you once. I watched the whole series. And I recognized both of them in the series as as Close Encounters alumnus. So, all right, yeah, that's it. That's all we want to talk about. Yep. We don't want to talk about the the cinematographer by Vilmos Zygmunt. We usually don't. So no. no. <laughs> well, he's, he's, it's an Oscar winner or Oscar nominated at least for that. And of course, we got John Williams music. Johnny Williams, Steven Spielberg, hand in hand, except for that Duel movie we watched. But you know, and a couple other ones, but. 
So, shall we get into it then? We should. All right. So, the movie opens on the Sonoran Desert. And a group of scientists are coming to the desert to see what has been discovered there. What has been discovered there is Flight 19, which was a U.S. Navy training mission. It was a group of planes that flew into the Bermuda Triangle in 1945 and disappeared. Never have been found again. But here they are, in all their glory, pristine shape, full of fuel, and fully operational. And a nearby witness that has a sunburn on his face tells Claude Lacombe and his re- and his interpreter, David Laughlin, that the sun appeared in the middle of the night and it sang to him. Meanwhile, in Indianapolis, a group of flight controllers are talking to a pair of commercial pilots as they are witnessing a UFO sighting. Oh, that was commercial pilots? Yes. Okay, for some reason I was thinking they were... Like with the Army or Navy or Air nope. Force or something like that. None of them were wearing uniforms. Okay. No, nope, that was, those were commercial pilots. And they asked, the, the, one of the controllers asks the pilots if they want to report a UFO sighting. And they're like, nah, I think we're okay. I don't want to report that. Well, I, I feel like you start reporting that stuff, people are going to think you're crazy. And then you might lose your job. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. there's definitely a stigma to it. There, there is. There's yeah. a big stigma. I mean, even now, I mean, there's more information and more stories coming out about unidentified obje- objects. We don't know what they are. There's just right. stuff coming out that they're even catching on camera. Yeah. And it's still got a stigma to it. Yeah. You know, a lot yeah. of people look down on or make fun of, I guess. Right. People that see these things. People will be mocking. Yeah. 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 Just a quick question. Have you ever seen an unidentified object? I have seen things in the night sky that I don't know what they are. Sure. But I don't know that they were UFOs in the... In the like a saucer flying around, <laughs> right? In the, in the in the in the in the frame of reference of what this is referring to. When when people say UFO, they mean spaceman. Mm-hmm. And I, so I I refrain from using the word UFO because I don't know if that's what that was. Right. All I know is I saw something happen, and I don't know what it was. Yeah. That's it. Yep. Yeah. How about you? Just once, and you were actually with me. Yeah. So why'd you ask me? <laughs> because that's how you make conversation oh okay fair enough we saw a red light in the sky and it just disappeared like it like sucked in on itself it disappeared it was the weirdest thing i've ever seen i don't know what it was right and it was an area we drive by often and i've looked several times to see if there's like a light up there or like a cell tower or something there's nothing where that was at so right. i don't know what it was but it was weird yeah and we both saw it right <laughs> and i have had one other time where i've seen something in the sky that i couldn't explain i was driving back home from rural wisconsin and as i was driving along i caught or light. I don't. I don't remember what color it was at this point. I think it was like amber, but it was following along with me. And I was in an area where there was literally nothing. It was cornfields as far as the eye could see, but there was a light following along with me. And I turned my head and I could see the light. It was kind of off in the distance, and it kind of went straight up. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> and I just, I just kept driving. I was yeah. like, all right, it must have been like a plane or some shit. I right. don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, it could have been. Seems like yeah. a weird angle for a plane to take, but I mean, maybe I don't know. I'm not an aviator. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not automatically. I'm not one to automatically jump to. Ooh, spooky aliens are are here to probe our butts. You know, that's right. not where I go. No, and I don't either. I mean, when we saw what we saw, we both just looked at each other and go, "Did you see that?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That one that was that, weird. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. That one was weird. I too looked in that same spot, couldn't find anything. The closest I could come was there's a water tower over there, but it's not in the location of where the red light was that we yeah. saw. But yeah, it was it was there. It was bright, and it was too low for a plane. It was too low for a plane, and it just it just disappeared. Yeah. So. <laughs> weird anyways shall we move on about the movie (laughs) sure 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 so speaking of the middle of the night in the middle of the night in rural eastern indiana at a town called muncie three-year-old barry guiler's toys come to life and he investigates 
and he sees something in the kitchen and he follows it out into the yard. And his mother Jillian wakes up to the sound of all of his crazy toys going nuts and she realizes that Barry has taken flight and she races after him. Barry's a little shit in this movie. (laughs) Uh, He's three. (laughs) I know, but he's, I mean, talk about just freaking your mom out because you keep taking off. And obviously these things must not be scary because a child is following them, right. you know, and not being scared. Right. That's true. That's true. In the same town, at the same time, electrical lineman Roy Neary is sent to investigate a power outage. But when Roy stops to check his map and kind of make sure he knows exactly where he's got to be, because it's the middle of the night again, a UFO flies over his truck and Roy gets a sunburn on half of his face and the ship pulls his truck up into the air and then sets it back down and flies off. This was kind of an interesting little scene. I love this scene. This is one of those scenes that I remember as a kid going, ooh, this is cool. Now, they got the effect by actually rolling the truck over. Yeah. Yeah, they put Uh, it on like a gyroscope or whatever. Yep, and they rolled it to get it to look like everything went weightless and stuff. Yep. Yeah, it's kind of similar to like what they did in The Fly with, not David, what's his name? What's that guy's name? Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, Yeah, Jeff Goldblum, his character's name is David, but Mm. Jeff Goldblum crawling on the walls. You know, you you turn the room so that you can do the things that you're trying to do like that. Right. Good old-fashioned in-camera special effects. Also, I'm going to back up just real quick. When Barry took off and ran out in that field, that mom seemed awfully calm for the kid running out into a field. Like, she was just like, oh, Barry, come back. I mean, I've been, like, freaking out, you know? (laughs) She's just like, come here, Barry, like, running through the field looking for him. Just very calm. (laughs) It's the late 70s. She's obviously in her mid to late 30s, so she was a flower child, I'm guessing. She's probably not too concerned about it, but she'll get concerned later. So Roy decides he's going to give chase and he runs up into the hills. He drives up into the hills and he almost hits Barry. Speaking of Barry, he's led his mom, Jillian, to a hill where he sees other people waiting for the UFOs. And Roy, of course, is mortified that he nearly hit the kid, so he go, he jumps out and he goes over to Jillian and apologizes. And when he does, that's when we see a bunch of ships fly by, followed by a bunch of police cars. <laughs> it's an interesting high-speed chase. Yeah, and I, I, I wonder what, like, the police had to report this, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so here's my question. Okay, so... Maybe I should save this late. Maybe I should save this for later, but I'm going to throw it out there just now. If the police are reporting it, or I mean, there's at least three squad cars, probably two people in each squad car, you got six people, right? Plus all the people that have seen these ships that will later be interviewed or later go and like meet with the government agents that are going to, that are going to say, that's not a UFO. This is a picture of a, you know, a hubcap that I took with a high speed camera, you know, whatever. Why isn't why 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 is it that these cops that are supposedly in a, a like a position of authority why doesn't their opinion of what happened carry more weight? I think it's the same thing as what's happening now. I mean, you've got military people saying they've seen stuff and people are saying no, no. I I just think that it's a concept that is hard for people to wrap their head around. Mm. And so it's the immediate instinct is to just deny it, I guess. Huh. Okay. I, I just feel like it's no different than what goes on nowadays. Hmm. All right. Fair enough. So Roy jumps back into his truck and runs off with the cops and they, they, they cross state lines. They're in neighboring Ohio by the time it's over with, and the ships veer off into the night sky. But Roy is is mesmerized, and he's kind of changed by this, this close encounter. He becomes obsessive to the point of ignoring his family. He keeps seeing the shape of a mountain in his head over and over and over again. Jillian is also plagued by visions, and separately, everyone who has seen these ships starts to sketch and sculpt and paint versions of this mountain that they see in their head. This is really interesting. I'm not really sure I get 
why this is happening or how this is happening. I mean, mm. it's an alien thing, so I guess I don't really need to know how because it's <laughs> not – we don't know what what their powers are or whatever. But right, right. I guess I don't really understand – I mean, are they trying to get people to come yes. to Devil's Rock? Devil's I mean, Tower, yes. That's exactly what I took it as. That they're putting out like a call to mm-hmm. people like – yep. You know, hey, come here. Yep. I think the We're aliens... abduct you. <laughs> Although, why didn't they just abduct them there if that's what they're doing? I don't think their plan was to abduct them at all. I think the plan was, because they've been abducting people all along, their plan was to have like a first contact type moment where like a meeting of the minds or something, which is kind of what we get at the end of the film anyway. <laughs> but I think, I think very much so that the, that the, that it's a mental projection by the alien ships to send them to Devil's Tower. Because we will find that lots of people are going to be going to Devil's Tower. Right, right. Even as many people are trying to escape Devil's Tower eventually. So, mm-hmm. so <laughs> this is where we get the uh, mashed potatoes scene. But this is, I remember this scene very differently. But it's a very emotional scene for Roy where he's making the mashed potatoes and he breaks down because his kids are looking at him like, what the hell dad? Mm -hmm. And he's like, all I know is that this means something. This is an important thing. This is, this is something that I have to see through, you know? Well, and you can see both sides. I mean, he saw something the others didn't. This is something that's bugging him. But on the other side, if you have a family member that's starting to make potato mountains and like really <laughs> obsessing about it, yeah. you're going to be a little concerned for their well-being. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So Roy's wife, Ronnie, eventually takes the kids and leaves him when he decides he's going to make like a larger sculpture of the mountain in his brain. Like, he absolutely loses his mind yeah. here. Like, yep. when he's throwing the dirt and crap in there, I was, what is he doing? Why didn't he do this outside? He absolutely made an absolute mess in his house, <laughs> ruined his house. Yeah. You could have done that outside. I True. don't understand what the hell is going on here. I yeah. think this is really bizarre. Yeah. I yep. don't understand his thinking. I don't understand why he's doing what he's doing. I understand that he is obsessed with this, but it's so much so that I'm starting to find it not believable right? because of what he's doing with alienating his family and wrecking his house like this. So I'm having a problem with this part of the movie because I'm starting to feel like, okay, this doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, this is where it it starts to become a little uncomfortable. And for me, it was, it's more like, it's it it seems like a physical manifestation of when you have a song in your head that you just cannot get rid of for a person with a healthy mind that's one thing but for me i have anxiety and i have depression I may have adhd but we'll find out later about that for me when i get a song stuck in my head like that it is literally stuck in my head on repeat, and I cannot exercise it until I've done something with it. That's not just you, though. That's that's pretty normal. Like, I will get a song stuck in my head, and it could be in there for two days sometimes. What do you do to get rid of it? Sometimes I'll try listening to different songs. Sometimes I try and meditate. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. So sometimes it just something gets in there, and you just cannot get it out. Okay. For yeah. me, I'm not saying that something getting in your head like that is is wrong. I'm saying that the response is different mm-hmm. for someone like me who has mental illness. My response is to play the song over and over and over again, obsessively, until it is exercised, until it's gone. Hmm. I would I, think that would make the problem worse. Doesn't for me. <laughs> It doesn't for me. So when I see this scene now, now that I know where I am, you know, mentally. Sure. This seems to me like a physical manifestation of a person with a mental health disorder trying to exercise an image from his head. Okay. And so I get where you're coming from because it definitely is way out there. And if you've 
you've never been writing in the car with me when I've done this before, but I've had to put a song on repeat before, and I've driven for an hour, hour and a half with the same song over and over and over again. Hmm. So it would come off probably pretty weird to the average person. Yeah, that's not how I would approach doing something like that. Right, and it's not the same level, obviously, as this. I mean, he's, like you said, destroying his home and and alienating his family, but this, I I think there's a link there. There's something in his head, and he's so affected by what he's seen, what's happened to him, mm-hmm. that he can't get it out of his head with normal, or not normal, with non-acting out means. Do you know what I mean? Sure. So, And I don't I mean, want to normalize the idea that he's alienated his family either. I'm just saying that that's the way this came off to me. Okay. That's, all. that's an interesting perspective though. Cause I would never have gone that far. I just started checking out of this guy. I'm like, this guy makes no sense to me. His motivations are not realistic to me, but you saying that maybe makes it a little bit more make sense. Like mm. he, he just is really struggling with this and doesn't know how to, doesn't know how to react to it or something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know for sure that that's the correct interpretation, but I, that's how I. Well, this is art though. Everybody can interpret it how they're going to interpret it, right? That's true. There's also the artist's intent too, but we've never heard from Spielberg as to what that means. But so Ronnie, you know, takes the wife and kids and Roy has been fired from his job. So he doesn't have a job at this point. Later on, Jillian gets terrorized by UFO. They're not friendly anymore, according to the way this is filmed, because this is filmed like a freaking horror movie at this point. Yeah. The invasion of Jillian Geiler's home is kind of terrifying. There's definitely unseen aliens running around upstairs. Mm-hmm. Barry gets lured outside. And there's these bright lights, obviously, the these bright orange or amber lights coming through the windows with the shutters closed. And it looks like bars on a gate, on a fence or something. It's really bizarre and really unsettling. So I have some interesting tidbits on how they were able to get Carrie Guffey to respond appropriately to these scenes. Yeah. So the scene where he walks into the kitchen and he's surprised by the the aliens. Mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg had two crew members hide in boxes off camera. One was in a clown suit and one is in a gorilla suit. <laughs> they popped out and that's kind of where you get that little startled look on Carrie's face. Yeah. And then then they remove their masks and, you know, he sees who they are and that's when he starts smiling. So he recognizes them. Right. So so that was one trick. And then there's another one where Barry's looking out the window and he says toys. Yeah. So this one, Spielberg was going for this look of awe and like anticipation. And so he filmed Carrie watching him unwrap a present for him very slowly like slowly pulled the ribbon off oh my god slowly pulled it out until he pulled out i think it was like a toy car or something it was a toy of some kind and then that's when carrie said toys (sighs) but that's how he was able to get the three-year-old to portray the looks he wanted portrayed on screen there's an old saying never work with children or animals and this seems like kind of a nightmare scenario for me. Like if I were shooting a movie, I would not want to deal with trying to coax a performance out of a kid. Bravo to you, Spielberg, because I wouldn't have done it. I would have been like, you know what? Get me a different kid. <laughs> so after they abduct Barry, they, the moose, they take off. While all this is going on, Lacombe and Laughlin have been globetrotting, like looking for people who have encountered the same sun in the sky at night phenomenon. And they they end up in India where they discover a large group of people who are singing a five-note song in unison. And they ask where they heard the song, and the entire group collectively points to the sky at the same time. So with this information, Lacombe and his staff develop the five notes 
into a communication system that they believe to be the alien's method for first contact. So the scientists broadcast this into space, expecting a response, but they don't get the kind of response they were, they were expecting. They were expecting kind of maybe music in, the, maybe music in return, right? But what they get are numbers. And they don't know what the hell it is until Laughlin, who is a cartographer by trade, recognizes the data as coordinates on a globe. And then we get this scene where they go running to get a globe out of one of the people's office. And I thought to myself, when was the last time you saw a globe? High school, maybe. Do they still have globes? Junior high, maybe. Do they still have them? Are they still a thing? I don't know. I think they're still a thing, but they're more a decorative thing than actual useful. I mean, you can't really find anything on those. Like, if you're looking for something, like, real specific, you could find the continents and the countries and stuff. But if you're looking for, like, cities, that's going to be a little more difficult. Sure. I I think... But I think they're more decorative use now than they are for, like, educational purposes. Right. Yeah, I think the... uh, I think handheld devices like cell phones have although they maybe should have them in the classrooms we got a lot of flat earthers out there now maybe if they're (laughs) they're introduced to a globe from a young age they'll understand what it is (laughs) oh my god we found the source of the flat earthers they took globes out of the classroom we're we're here to put globe back back in global community guys (laughs) so they race and they find this globe and they trace it they trace the coordinates, the latitude and longitude, and they end up at Wyoming. So back at Roy's house, he's starting to regret that his erratic behavior has alienated his family. And he calls Ronnie and he has this conversation with her. It turns into a fight. She doesn't want to come back. He's trying to make concessions. He's he's apologizing. She's not having any of it. She's done. So he hangs up and he's kind of distraught, but he kind of looks up and the TV's on. And while he's looking at the TV, there's a news program on about Devil's Tower. And this is where Roy has that moment where the light bulb switches on and we find out that Devil's Tower is the mountain that's been in his head. Everybody's head. So a couple things here. Number one... I, I again, I think it's a little unbelievable that Ronnie's just not going to give him another shot at this point. I mean, yes, he had these instances where he was acting crazy, but if he is sincerely trying to get better mm-hmm. and not do these things, why would she just be like, nope, I'm done. I'm done forever. <laughs> I don't know. I well, I feel like and maybe it's because on the movie everything's happening so quickly and that in real life there was probably more time that passed and that she really dealt with this problem for a longer amount of time. But I just feel like there wasn't enough time to like alienate her so much that she was just, nope, I'm, I'm done. You don't get to see the kids. We're out. Well, we don't you know? get an explanation for it, but there's so many different things that could be going on here. Jillian, or not Jillian, but Ronnie could have like a history of mental illness in her family or something like that. And that was a trigger for her or something, or maybe there was an issue in their marriage earlier on where he was, became obsessive. But about we don't else. know any of that. And so no, this comes across as unreasonable to me. Okay. Right. I, I just don't think it makes sense. I'd say that's fair, but I do think that the situation being what it is, I, I really think that, that Ronnie is the put upon, not the, not the other way around. You no, know what I mean? and I, I feel like she has the right to be hesitant here, mm-hmm. but I would think she would want to, especially for the kid's sake, try and come up with a happy medium. Like, you know, maybe we'll go have dinner or something and then see how it goes from there. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just feel like this nope, we're done thing is crazy. The yeah. other thing I had, we kind of talked about this a little bit when we we're watching the movie, yeah. but I wanted to bring it up. I was a little confused because none of these people seem to know what Devil's Tower is. And I feel like, doesn't everybody know what Devil's Tower is? And then you made a point that this is done in the 70s, mm-hmm. where it was maybe not as well known of a landmark. Mm-hmm. Well, this movie put this landmark on the okay. map. And and that's, I just want to bring that up because I felt like there's probably other people that had the same thought that I had. Like, yeah. what did they not know about this? Is this some kind of weird secret in this movie that all of a sudden <laughs> s- 
this is not why everybody knows about this, but no, I I would say, I mean, how many national parks do you know? I don't know a lot of them, but but some of the like the Grand Canyon, you know sure. that one, you know yeah. the one with Yosemite with Old Faithful right. and Mount Rushmore. I mean, those big monument things, you know. Yeah. This to me is. I've never been there, but I know what it is, yeah. and I know what it's called. Yeah. I've been there, but only because of this movie. Okay. I didn't know what the hell Devil, Devil's Tower was until I saw this movie. All right. And here's the thing. So for me, I think it's, I think we're talking about nowadays having such a small, like having such a small global community because of the internet, it's a little harder to remember but back in the 70s and 80s, people that were spread out, we didn't have that connectivity that we have now. Like the connection to everything that we have now. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Right. Like you couldn't just go on your phone and type up giant flat top mountain and see what it would come up with and find out about Devil's Tower. You would have to know the name Devil's Tower and look it up in an encyclopedia. Right. Well, and you see, you learn a lot more, I think, too, with a lot of the social media posts and stuff now, because mm-hmm. maybe you have a family member that went and saw it or a friend of a friend who saw something and yep. tagged somebody in it. So you're going to see more stuff. I think you're just exposed to more, which yep. makes sense to me. But I yeah. just wanted to talk about it real quick, because oh, I no, thought I there's think... probably other people out there like me that are kind of yeah, questioning no, what it was, absolutely. So. Absolutely. No, I, I 100% agree with you. And I think it's more of a cultural phenomenon than anything else. I think that culturally, we have come a long way in that we now can recognize things that probably we wouldn't have even known about in the 80s or the right. 70s. You know what I mean? So it is, it's definitely fascinating, definitely interesting to make note of that. So after Roy sees the broadcast, he decides he's going to go to Wyoming. So he gets in his station wagon, he takes off, but he gets blocked by the army. The government is manufacturing a story, (laughs) big surprise, that, that (laughs) a train, yeah, I know that a train (laughs) derailment has spilled toxic chemicals in the area of Devil's Tower. So they're evacuating all the area around it. They've gone so far as to plant dead animals. Is that what that that was? was. I was confused. I'm like, where are these dead animals coming from? And they all happen to be just laying on the side of the road. They're on the side of the road, right? (laughs) Sheep on the side of the road, right? Yeah. Not like, you know, deer, like you'd think, oh, deer crossing the road, right? Sheep on the side of the road, which I think maybe is a little interesting dig, you know? Sheep, just follow (laughs) along, right? So, but... They, so the, the area is being evacuated and there's this big mass of like confusion around like this train that's supposed to take them out of there, which nobody put two and two together. How many train tracks do you think are out there? And don't you think that this train is on the same track that was, wouldn't this track be shut down? (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) I mean, I there's a chance. That. <laughs> there's a chance that there's more than one train track or one more than one railroad track that runs through there. But wouldn't you think that they would shut down the trains? The tracks yeah. would be shut down, but they're putting people on the trains to take them out of there. Right. And this is where Roy sees Jillian again. And this is the first time they've seen each other since they were interviewed by the government about, uh, or not interviewed, but they were talked down to by the government in a town hall meeting in, in Muncie. They decide that they're going to jump in Roy's station wagon and try and bust through and just go to Devil's Tower anyway. But they get caught and they get brought to the government station that they've put together. There, they get separated. Well, they get separated before that, but they are put into two separate holding cells and Lacombe and his interpreter come to speak to Roy. And... He recognizes Roy's story as the same story that he's heard over and over and over again now. But he apologizes to Roy and says, you know, we can't keep you here. So they put Roy, Jillian, and a few other people on that were trying to get into Devil's Tower through alternative means besides the road onto a helicopter with gas masks on. Still trying to maintain that whole, hey, there's a toxic spill here, you know? Mm-hmm. 
But Roy is like, I'm going to take a chance here and take my mask off. And if, if I, if I keel over, then we know that there's really something going on, but he doesn't. And Jillian takes her mask off and another guy whose name is Larry, I think, takes his mask off. And those three decide they're going to jump off the helicopter before it takes off, not after. Right. They're going to jump off the helicopter and make for the hills, literally. So they do. Larry, while they're there, the military starts spraying the side of the the mountain with, like, sleeping gas, basically. Mm -hmm. And Larry succumbs to the the sleeping gas, but Jillian and Roy manage to evade it. And they make their way to the east side of 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 the mountain, and they find the government's makeshift airstrip. I was not anticipating this. For some reason, I was thinking maybe there was going to be something on top of this thing or, <laughs> you know, maybe they're going to find some alien ship. I don't know. I was not anticipating a military base back there. Well, it's not really a military base. It's actually a scientist scientific base. Right. But the you're right. I think that on top of it would have been a good place for it. But how are you going to get up there? Also... I'm guessing you'd probably see movement up there from a distance and people would start wondering There's that what's too. going on up there. I've been to Devil's Tower and there are some maniacs that will that will free climb up the side of this damn thing. I was wondering that when oh, I yeah. we were watching this. Oh God, they do it all I, the time. I anticipated there probably was. <sighs> that is terrifying. It is. I, they're maniacs. Now, I've been to Devil's Tower and I've walked around the entire tower because I wanted to see it. This was when I was when I was working in the insurance industry, and I was actually on catastrophe duty out in Wyoming for a hailstorm. I got a week a week weekend day off. It was a Sunday, and I went out to Devil's Tower, and the columns that you see, which you know Roy makes with his his fork and his potatoes, those columns actually break off from time to time and fall. And there's like if you look at the base of the mountain, it's just crumbled pieces of these columns. Hmm. It's really cool looking and really interesting, but. I must have seen probably six people free climbing this thing. Wow. While I was walking around it and it's huge, huge. Yeah. It's not little at all. Not by any stretch of the imagination is this thing little. It's huge. Yeah. It's pretty cool. We should go yeah. sometime. I think you'd really I, appreciate it. I would love to go see it sometime. I yeah. think it it seems like a interesting thing to see. We should go in the summer sometime and we could watch this movie projected. At the Devil's Tower Monument. That is one of the things I was going to mention in my trivia, but since you brought it up, Sorry. this film is shown every almost every night at yeah. the KOA campground there. So yep. it is, it makes it one of the most screened movies ever. I think that sounds super cool is to go to Devil's Tower and watch this movie at the base of Devil's Tower. Oh, I think neat, that, right? that sounds super cool. I, I would love to do it. Yeah, we should do that then. That would that should be one of our things. We'll put that on our list of crap to do when we're not working. <laughs> <laughs> so when night falls, the alien ships arrive and they start off with the little ones, and then we end up with the giant mothership, which is miles wide. This thing is huge. Now you remember I told you how big Devil's Tower is. Mm-hmm. Now you remember what you were seeing in the movie, and that this thing dwarfs Devil's Tower. Yeah. Now I had an interesting thought here. Yeah. When these things are coming in, they come in and it looks like a rolling cloud. And it mm-hmm. made me think of the movie Nope with the alien ship there looking mm-hmm. like a cloud. I wonder if Jordan Peele got some inspiration from this because I felt like it looked similar. I don't know that, but I I thought the way it looked coming in yeah. reminded me of that movie. He's a film nerd, so he's definitely got inspired from this. I I would 100% guarantee that this is from that. Yeah. Also... Completely cribbed by Independence Day. Remember when the alien ships come in? Mm -hmm. They're preceded by like a fireball of like cloud. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So the scientists communicate with the ships with the five notes. This is the most classic game of Simon I've ever seen. (laughs) The lights and the music, it's great. Simon? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that little handheld thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember what it was. Yeah, that's funny. So the ship responds, and after a few attempts of getting it just right, they manage to get it right, and the ship lands and opens up. And from the gangway come humans, including Barry 
and including the pilots of Flight 19 who have never aged. So, question. Yeah. If they would have gotten it wrong, would they have just flown away again? Possibly. I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm just wondering. <laughs> <laughs> so, the well, one of my favorite bits happens at this point in the movie where one of the scientists says to the other, Einstein was right. And the other guy says to him, Einstein was probably one of them. <laughs> Made me think of Men in Black. Remember how they had like that wall of people that were actually aliens? Right, right. Yeah. One of them was Will Smith's like fifth grade teacher or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Lacombe spots Roy hiding in the rocks and he invites him to go with the team that they have assembled that's going to board the mothership. And Roy accepts this invitation without a damn about his family. This is where I lose okay. connection with okay, Roy. Okay, thank you. Completely. This was another spot where I thought, no, uh-uh, no. This is not how yeah. this would work. I mean, he just, yep, he's doing it. He doesn't even stop to think or need to be convinced that this is a good thing for right. science or anything. He's just like, yes, I'm doing this. Who gives a shit about my family? Right. He, yeah, I, I I don't like this. We don't know how for how for how long it is. I mean, the pilots of Flight 19 were gone for 30 years. Yeah, and he won't age a day, but his family's going to age 30 years. Now, I watched a very interesting interview that Steven Spielberg gave, and he says this is where you can kind of see how he's aged. He said if he made this movie today, he would not have had Roy leave on the ship. And it's because today he has kids. He's got yeah. family. Him as a director would not make that choice. Sure. But he said then he was he didn't have kids. He didn't have the family. So that was his choice at that point. And so he says he's aged and he would make different choices now, given that he's got a family now. Smart. You know, I mean, I, I even when even when I first saw this movie, I felt like that was a sour note. Yeah, I don't like it, it at doesn't all. Ma- it, it completely disconnects me from Roy's character. I was with him up until this point. Up until the point where he's just like, hell yeah, let's go. Yeah, I don't think he should have gone. No, no. I think he, fine, he went. To find this, he knows his answer. He should have turned around and gone home. Right. Maybe he gets to meet the aliens or something, or he right. gets to yeah. see he gets to see what's happening. Now mm-hmm. he knows what this is all about. Mm-hmm. Now he can be satisfied. Go home. Mm-hmm. You have a family. You have a, you have kids. At the very least, you have kids mm-hmm. that need you. Yeah. Even if you don't get it to work out with your wife, right? You will work something out for your kids. Yes. You don't fly off to space when you've got kids that need you on Earth. Yeah. I, that just doesn't happen. Okay. I'm well, glad you're on the same page because, boy, did this bother me. Yeah. This, the end, this part of the end really bugs me. This is the part where it, the movie kind of falls apart for me at this point. But the aliens come out of the ship afterwards. They surround Roy and they usher him onto the ship. The rest of the crew goes on. And one of the aliens stays behind to... Do a hand version of the five notes and give Lacombe a smile, and then they take off for parts unknown, vanishing into the night sky with Roy. The aliens, I know this is 1977, but boy, the aliens look bad. Stop it. They did. It is absolutely fair to call that out. This is 1977. I'm sure this looked a lot better back then. But now when you're looking back, it's like, boy, those look really wonky. The other thing to think about is that now we're watching it on a 4K disc where every detail is accentuated. Mm -hmm. Back then, you're watching it projected on a big screen. It's not going to be as high of a resolution as what we're seeing seeing now. So we're not going to catch the little imperfections. Yeah. Yeah. It's like seeing the seams where they molded the stormtroopers armor on Star Wars. And they really did have a hard time coming up with believable aliens. And that's also why they're very blurry and you see most of them from a distance and stuff. The only one you really see up close is that one that does the hand signals. And they had to reshoot that section. They made like a puppet, like a puppet thing. Yeah. That actually would do that. So so it looked a little more believable because they did try it with like... All those aliens are young girls, like ballet dancers. Oh, Um, sure, yeah. And then they had one of them have like these long like rubber finger things on, and they said it just looked terrible. So they had to reshoot that after making this puppet to make it look a little better. Hmm. See, I just think that like for me, like this is the kind of movie, 
this is the kind of movie effect that I appreciate. This is like, I get that they don't look perfect or anything like that, but Carlo Rambaldi created these creatures. He's the guy that created E.T. He's the guy that created King Kong from the 1976 King Kong movie. He's done so many great things. He's a, He was a pioneer. Sure. So this is part of his catalog of of stuff. And so it's hard for me to get down on it because I know what the limitations are. <laughs> right. And even still, I think it holds up because if you put yourself in that mindset and you allow yourself to be kind of wrapped in the movie, you can forgive it, I think. I think you can forgive it too, but I do think it needs to be pointed out that it <laughs> has not aged very well. It does look pretty bad. Right. Yeah. I suppose. But if you forgive that and just be like, this is a movie from the 70s, you can't expect the same kind of effects that you have now, it's it's fine. Yeah, that's true. Did you did you catch R2-D2? I did. You did? I, well, no, I didn't catch him, but I caught him in the research I did. Oh, they okay. said that they had R2-D2 mm-hmm. on the ship, and I'm like, what? Yeah, so I kind of went right back. After, and, yeah, yep. So they wanted to make sure that it wasn't super obvious, and right. that's why... It's just the shape and it's kind of shadowed out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because but you can they, see the little red light of his little yeah, dome. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's, it's behind Jillian as the mothership is passing over her head yep. and she's turning around to look at it. Yep. So it's right there. And I didn't know about it until I bought the, the DVD for this 15, 20 years ago or whatever it was. And I was watching a special effect, a special feature about the effects. And they talked about how the how the special effects team decided to put that in there so yeah i thought that was cool yeah do you have any other notes that you wanted to talk about i do i came across a few other things here this film was partly inspired by an experience from spielberg's childhood when without advance warning his parents took the kids into the car one night they drove out they didn't tell them where they were going and there was other people gathered here. They put a blanket out and laid down and watched a meteor shower. Oh, interesting. I wonder if that's going to show up in the Fablemans. That would be cool. That would yeah. be cool. Yeah. I really want to see that movie. Now, the score for the film was done a little different than typical. So this one, the score was created before the film was edited And then Spielberg edited the film to match the music. Mm. So it's kind of flip-flop from what normally happens. Yep, That's that's interesting. They wanted to give the film a lyrical feel, and they felt like that's how they were going to do it. It definitely feels that way. Uh, Up until until Roy betrays his family and takes off with his alien... His alien whores... The, everything everything feels pretty lyrical, but that point there, it's like it's like lyrical, lyrical, lyrical. Right at the end, it's like oh, great! It's like somebody farted in the orchestra hall. <laughs> All right, so this is an interesting little tidbit. I didn't know that George Lucas and Steven Spielberg are buddies. Oh yeah, they're, they're friends. They're like really, really good friends. Yeah. yeah. So they had a gentleman's bet because around the same time. Star Wars, A New Hope was coming out. <laughs> yeah. And so they had a gentleman's agreement that each of them would earn two and a half percent of the other one's movies, profits off the movies. Oh my God, Spielberg made out like a bandit. So to this day, Spielberg still gets two and a half percent of the profits from Star Wars, New Hope, <laughs> and George Lucas gets two and a half percent of the profits from this movie. One of them is making out better than the other. <laughs> Holy shit! That's kind that's of an great. interesting little thing. That right? is interesting. Yeah. yeah, you know they're they're such good friends that George Lucas actually like absconded to Hawaii with Spielberg when when Star Wars was coming out because he was so nervous that it was going to flop, and he didn't oh. come back to the he didn't come back stateside until it was apparent that it was a it was a success. He was so nervous about that. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're 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 good buddies. They work on Indiana Jones together. The he's the producer and 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 a story writer, mm-hmm. and Spielberg is the director. Yeah, I just thought this was really cool because they were kind of helping each other out. Like mm-hmm. if if your movie doesn't do good but mine does, here's a little something for you, and vice versa. And you know, I, I don't know. I just think that's really cool. Yeah. they did that. Yeah, that's neat. I did not know that. I never knew that. That's fantastic. This that's movie great. had six rap parties. Because they had to keep going back and refilming something, and then they'd have a rap party. And then they'd have to go back and refilm something else, and then they would have a rap party again. Wow. Had six rap parties. And then I have 
alternate casting for the Roy Neary. Okay. The Roy Neary or Roy Neary the character? For Roy Neary the character. Okay. Spielberg really wanted Steve McQueen. Really wanted him. And he went and had drinks with him and wanted this guy. And McQueen actually turned it down because he is not able to cry on film. Here's my question, though. What is it about Steve McQueen? I don't even know who this guy is. He was... Okay, think about, like, Paul Walker. Okay. You remember Paul Walker? He was kind of... He was kind of like... Ladies loved him, and he was in, like, you know... All these, like... He was in Fast and Furious, right? Yeah, he was in the Fast and Furious and stuff like that. And Steve McQueen was kind of that cool guy, you know, that, like, everybody... Like, ladies loved him, guys wanted to be him kind of a guy. But, like, I never saw him as, like... That's great of a an actor. I mean, maybe I maybe I'm stomping on someone's grave here because the dude died. I guess he died after an illness in the in early '80s sometime. But I just never. You didn't appreciate his acting. You didn't I didn't think appreciate. It was... it. Look, okay. Here's the, here's what it is. They called him the King of Cool, and he used that. As an alias, or no, he, not, he didn't use that as an alias. They called him the King of Cool. And, like, for me, like, I, like, I don't care about cool. Show me that you can act. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and he just never, he never really came off as a great, as a great actor to me. I don't know what the appeal, I don't understand the appeal of Steve McQueen, I guess. I'm a little disappointed that that's who he wanted to put in this movie. It would be like putting Vin Diesel in this movie now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, I'm a badass. Okay, cool. That's great, buddy. Go ahead. You know, pat you on the back. Go ahead. Have a, have a you know sausage. Get out of here. You know? All right. You want to hear the other ones? Yeah. All right. We got Dustin Hoffman. You know, I could really see Dustin Hoffman pulling this off. I could see Dustin Hoffman doing this. Gene Hackman? No. Come on. Gene Hackman? He's grizzled. He's like completely different from this movie. And Jack Nicholson. No, what? No. <laughs> I, I I felt the same thing. The only Jack one I Nicholson? thought, I didn't know about Steve McQueen because I don't know him from anything, but I thought Dustin Hoffman would have done okay. But the other two, I was like, meh, I don't know about it that. Sounds like a late 70s wish list of actors. <laughs> it Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. No. Did you have anybody else? Any other like alternate cast? No, those were the else? only ones oh, okay. I I caught in the special feature thing that I watched. Hmm. Interesting. All right. I have a serious question for you now. Oh God. Here we go. Do you believe in aliens? I believe there's life outside of this planet. Yes. All right. Because, okay. Consider how huge the universe is. We cannot, it is the, it is the pinnacle to me, the pinnacle of human arrogance to believe that we are the only intelligent species in in a universe as big as this the pinnacle of human arrogance. We are definitely not alone. I don't mean that in that there are people walking among us like reptilians or some stupid (laughs) shit like that. I'm talking about on another planet, somewhere in another solar system, in another galaxy, in this universe, somebody's having the same conversation with someone else saying, geez, do you think we're the only ones? Yeah. And I think it's short-sighted. And again, the height of human arrogance to think that we are. How about you? Do you believe in aliens? I do for the same reason you stated Mm. i mean this is a vast universe i fully believe that out there somewhere there's other intelligent life now i'm with you i don't know that it's the you know martian big-eyed martian (laughs) pale things that you know they portray on tv i don't know about that but i do think that they do exist out there somewhere yeah probably I, I honestly, the rate we're going, I don't think any of them are ever going to come by, come by and be like, hey, let's check this place out. <laughs> you know, okay, so do you know like when you're driving on the interstate in Iowa and you pass by like the shittiest looking gas station and you're like, you really have to pee and you're like, I'll wait till the next one. Yeah, I don't have to go that bad. Yeah, that's way aliens probably look at this planet. <laughs> They're probably like, mm, yeah, keep going, keep going. Keep look, going. don't slow down, lock the doors, keep going. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, cool. That's it then. Yes. You got all you had? 
All right, so I have nothing else that I want to talk about. I talked about everything that I wanted to talk about as we were talking through the movies. Let's talk about Keep, Rent, or Erase, Jennifer, and why. All right, I'm on rent on this one. I knew you were. I felt this movie had some interesting stuff. Yeah. There was lots of boring time for me, though. <laughs> I I was like, oh, my God, this movie's so long. And even an hour in... I had you pause it so we could see how much time's left. And I'm like, oh, my God, we're only halfway through this thing. You told me you had to go to the bathroom. I know, but I was also I... checking to see how much time was left. You're telling me you uh... lied to me? How dare you? So, anyways, it's very slow moving. It's really... Plus, it's sci-fi. So, there's a lot of stuff in here I just don't care about. And then you have the character of Roy making decisions that I don't like. I don't like what he was doing with the wrecking his house mm. and alienating his family and then leaving at the end. I just don't like those decisions so with that character. I feel like you can still have this story and have him make better decisions and still have it be a conflict with his family and then resolve that conflict, you know? Or at least maybe a better decision at the end. Yeah, something. Yeah. I don't know. I just I just don't like that. But I didn't hate this movie. I thought the introduction of the aliens was neat. I like the idea of them kind of having like a little headquarter area by Devil's Tower. I thought that was neat. Their little sound thing, their Simon game they play, that was that was kind of fun. five tones. <laughs> it's called the five tones. So I'm going to say I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. So it's definitely a rent for me. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. How about you? This one's tough for me. I want to say keep. My heart says keep because I'm fascinated with this movie. I was fascinated with this movie. It's not my favorite Spielberg movie, but I'm fascinated with it. My big problem comes with Roy's decision at the end of the film. Is that enough to put this into rent versus keep? I'm kind of, I'm of two minds. I'm of two minds. Personally, I don't think it's enough to merit putting it into the, into the rent category. But I think there might be some viewers that that maybe it is enough to put this into a middling But you're deciding thing. for yourself, not for the viewers. True, but it's kind of my recommendation as well. Right, yeah. I'm going to have to go with keep. And I, I feel like this is going to be a series where I'm just going to keep everything because it's Spielberg. But, I mean, I don't know. Wait, I, no, I started with Rent on Duel, didn't I? Yeah, Yeah, I so, so maybe I'm not. <laughs> Maybe I'm not. Who knows? I'm going to go with keep. I'm going to go okay. with keep because really, truly, Roy's decision at the end is a terrible, shitty, horrible decision made for completely selfish reasons without thinking about his kids. And I can't forgive that, but this is more than just the end. This movie is more than just what happens at the end of it. Right. And I really love the journey of this. I love the encounter at the railroad tracks with Roy and his truck. I love the mothership floating over Devil's Tower. I love the realization that Devil's Tower is what's in their head. I really like this, this in my head at least, this interpretation of mental illness on film. On, on film. In this idea that something gets in your head and you just can't exercise it until you have done something that other people are going to look at and go, what the fuck are you doing? But it makes perfect sense to you, you know, like I, I love it for that too, you know? So I'm, I'm going to go with keep. All right. I'm going to go with keep. All right. So, yeah. All right, Jen. So what's next? All right. Next week, we're going to cover the new movie, Megan. Oh, okay. So we're going to go, we're going to stay in like high quality science fiction territory is what you're telling me. High quality? I don't know. I haven't seen this movie, so I have, who knows? I haven't either, but the trailer tells me that this is probably right up there with like Close Encounters. <laughs> <laughs> maybe something, maybe this might be the next Blade Runner or something, right? The Are trailer we tells the me the same that. trailer. The, well, I mean, think about it. Like it looks, it looks like epic. It looks like this is going to be one of those movies that they're going to pick apart for decades, like they do with Blade Runner. I'm expecting that they will eventually have like three, four, five different cuts of this movie, the way that this is being advertised. All right. Oh, you mean the one about the doll? 
Oh, never mind. I thought we were talking about something else. Never mind. Okay, so you're talking about the doll. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so, next week then, a, a psychotic AI doll that's not named Chucky. That's not named Chucky. That's right, right here on the Or couch. Annabelle. Or Annabelle, right. Well, that's not a... Yeah, I suppose. Does Annabelle talk? I don't remember that movie. I don't think she talks. It just showed up in various places, right? And like does things off screen? <laughs> I don't remember. I I think I've seen all the movies, but I honestly don't remember. In the in the annals of creepy doll movies, Annabelle seems like the one that like doesn't really do anything, just implies creepiness. Yeah. It would be like having a killer clown movie where the killer clown doesn't actually kill anybody he just stands there <laughs> anyway we're not talking about annabelle maybe we'll get to annabelle maybe we'll do a conjuring thing where we go back and we watch all the conjuring movies and movies that are connected to it which means we'd have to watch that god-awful nun movie again oh god <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's for another time another place next week right here on the couch megan thanks for listening everyone You've been listening to A View from the Couch, a Space Moose Media podcast. You can interact with our hosts on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash view underscore couch. You can also email us at aviewfromthecouch at yahoo.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help us get noticed by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks for listening.